The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good evening. You're listening to KUCI at 88.9 FM in Irvine and streaming online at KUCI.org. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer. And your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity and From Victim to Victor, a step-by-step guide for ending the nightmare of identity theft. Mari's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues, and you may have seen her on TV on 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, Dateline, ABC News, O'Reilly, Geraldo, Montel, lots of other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special called Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about Mari's work, please visit www.identitytheft.org. And to learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit kuci.org slash privacypiracy. Evening, Mari. How's your show tonight? Well, our show is great tonight because we are so lucky to be able to bring back a wonderful guest, Deborah Peel, MD, and talk about medical privacy. Since she's been on our show, she's been doing such wonderful, really important work. When you think about medical privacy as one of the most important types of privacy that we have, it's pretty scary to think about who could have access to our medical records and what they could do with it and how it could possibly hurt us. For example, if our bank and uh, our insurance company are sharing that kind of information. We might even be denied loans or who knows what. If you haven't heard Deborah before, she's fabulous. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a practicing physician and national expert on medical privacy. She became active in privacy rights at the federal level back in 1993 when the Clinton Healthcare Initiative required every doctor-patient encounter to be entered into a federal health database. Scary stuff. She advocated first as an individual and later on on behalf of state and national medical specialty organizations to advocate for patient control of access to medical records. In 2004, Dr. Peel founded Patient Privacy Rights to educate and empower Americans to preserve and protect their fundamental human and civil rights. This organization, Patient Privacy Rights, is the nation's leading medical privacy watchdog organization. It educates the public healthcare and IT industries, the media, and Congress about the massive threats that technology presents to American privacy rights, especially with regard to medical privacy. In 2006, Dr. Peel formed another organization, the Coalition for Patient Privacy. The bipartisan coalition of 40-plus organizations urged the U.S. House of Representatives to add basic privacy protections to health care IT legislation. Patient privacy rights and the coalition continue to educate Congress about the need to protect patient privacy rights and to promote the use of smart technologies such as consent management systems that give consumers instantaneous control of access to their electronic medical records and promote smart laws like the proposed federally regulated patient-controlled 
healthcare trusts. We're going to ask her about those things. If you also want to learn more, you can go to patientprivacyrights.org. And thank you, Deborah, coming to us all the way from Texas. You're so welcome. I'm happy to be with you today. Well, I'm going to start in right away and, and ask you about these proposed regulated patient-controlled healthcare trusts. The healthcare trusts. Well, here's the idea. Right now, there are so many corporations, hospitals, clinics, labs, x-ray facilities, uh, doctor's offices, insurance companies, data warehouses, uh, pharmacy benefits managers, pharmacy companies, and on and on. There are so many corporations that have databases full of our sensitive health information, but there's not one single place, not a single place, where we can collect all of our records and keep them safe and know that they're not being used or data mined uh, without, without permission. Right. And so if, in this electronic age, we're going to need some kind of a place to collect medical records, to collect health information, to collect things about, well, even beyond records that we would get from doctors and hospitals. We could collect information about our pulse that comes from, you know, those little watches that take your pulse when you're exercising. We could collect in it blood sugars that some people get as many as four or five times a day. We could keep all kinds of information about diet and exercise, everything related to health, in a health bank and know that that information is safe, is private, and cannot be stolen or data mined. So in order to have a really complete, rich, detailed medical record, we've got to have a safe place to keep it. And that's, the, that's what the health bank concept is. The idea, the idea that there should exist one place where the fiduciary duty responsibility of the bank is only to you, only to the person who puts their data in there and is not to shareholders, not to making profits, it's not to anyone else, so that you control your information. Now let me ask you something that is really important. As one who deals with a lot of people who have experienced medical identity theft yeah. and, and where people have gotten health care in the name of someone else or have accessed their insurance and you know, use their insurance yeah. number. Yeah. Um, what about the need to be able to correct medical records? Right now, that is really not even possible. No, you're 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 absolutely right. No, one of the 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 big problem is the technology, the health technology, the medical records that are electronic, and the insurance records that people break into and steal. All of these systems, virtually all of them, were never developed with security, meaning, you know, strong technology to keep hackers and thieves out. They were never developed with strong security measures, and they were never developed with controls so that no one could access your information without your consent. That's why it's so easy for somebody on the inside of a hospital, of an insurance company, of a large clinic, to just open a record and, and take this valuable information about you and steal your medical identity, or, as you know, um, it, it's also a source for, of information for identity theft, too. And right. we, you are completely correct. Another part of having a health bank would be, if there is false information, 
you can get all of your information, collect it in the health bank, and then you can put the bad information in a lockbox and not let it be sent out to anyone new, like a new doctor or hospital. So within the health bank, you can keep your record, and you know the best of anyone what's really you and what's not, what are wrong diagnoses, what are false lab tests, you know, and, and which things are correct about you, which medicines you're still taking, which ones you've quit. So, you know, the other part of having health bank would be there would be your record all and all of your records collected from everywhere so you could control the summary. You could control the parts that you want sent out to new hospitals or new doctors, and you yourself could assure that they get the correct information. So let me ask you something. How How is that going to be with, for example, the Medical Information Bureau or your insurance company? Let's say that someone stole my identity yeah. somewhere else, okay, not in a hospital, but maybe let's say they stole it from my bank, mm-hmm. and then they somehow um, created a health Ish, you know, they, they had some health problems, and they went and said that they were me. They used my social. Mm-hmm. And now it goes to my health insurance company, and it maybe even goes to the Medical Information Bureau. Yeah. And, and so I have this whole profile of somebody who maybe has diabetes or something that has nothing to do with me. Absolutely. And, yes, maybe I'll see it in my health bank, like you're talking about, this yeah. bank. Yeah. But... How how do I correct this so that the insurance company doesn't then send this somewhere else? So uh, so maybe I am denied future coverage if I get rid of this health uh, insurance yeah. company, or or somehow that doesn't get into the next hospital. Um, you know, I mean, this oh, I think is a is yeah. a and and even yeah. even the fact if I have this bad information in my own health bank. I don't even want it in there. I want it to be deleted. I want it to be eradicated so no one sees it if it's really nothing to do with me. How do I deal with that? These are these are really critical questions that are you know that that have absolutely not been addressed by Congress and have yet to be addressed in as far as I know in all of the states either. Right. The problem with medical records is um and, and most people don't know this. You know, the only reason I do is because I'm a doctor. In the paper system, if there were errors in someone's records, you are never allowed to destroy the record because it's a legal document. And so we are not going to have any... The, the answers are going to be kind of parallel to the paper system. If there, are, if there are errors in your paper records, what has to happen is, uh, you know, amendments and corrections are put in, and hopefully those stay... At, at, the, at the front of your chart, at the top of your chart, so that, so that no one makes that mistake and thinks that that information is true. You know, it might have to do with your blood type or allergies or a disease. You know, somebody would have to, have to keep track of that with paper, but, but it, it's illegal to actually remove any part of your me- medical record uh, from a paper chart, even if it isn't yours. Wow. So, so, so when that's we why we have the, this much. Yeah, this that's is why, why we <laughs> have. Yeah, the problem is these are legal records, and so nobody's allowed to tamper with them. And when there's a mistake in them, it has to be addressed through, you know, more paper and flagging things at the front of the chart to make sure that the erroneous information doesn't get, you know, doesn't get used. 
So with electronic records, what's going to happen if someone holds it, like a hospital or a doctor, you know, you have a right under the uh, under HIPAA to request that that information be amended. And they would have to accept the amendment, which hopefully would override that information, but they can't they can't delete things. This is what this is what everyone and and in a way and, and I too have problems with. If it's truly not me, why on earth shouldn't I get to delete it? Exactly. Uh, I, I mean, that makes no sense. And I, you know, I don't know if 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 we're going to win that battle. Like I said, because the problem is, you know, a hundred or more years of law about paper records where you can't destroy the thing. Well, you know, you that's, yeah, that's where so. we need to have some laws that if you have proven to you to be a victim, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, it's almost like the same thing if you think about a credit report. Yeah. When we have victims who yeah. have uh, fraud that appears on their credit report, yeah. first they have the burden of proving that they're a victim because, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, yeah. He, yeah. you know, you don't want exactly. to, the, the, the creditors don't want to take off stuff just if, for some malinger who says I'm a victim. You literally have to come up with a, a threshold and say, here's my police report, here's the evidence, here's the data. Now I'm going to ask you to remove this from my credit report. And then it can only be reinserted if the creditor proves that it is indeed you from some other way. But hmm. if you've got a police report, that's which that's the threshold to at least block it. And then the credit reporting agencies tell the creditor, hey, they're saying this is fraud, mm-hmm. all right? And you have to prove that it's not fraud. And if, if the creditor can't prove that it's not fraud, it doesn't get reinserted. And if they reinsert it without proving it, they could be sued. So, you know, that model is something that we worked on with the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the Fair and Accurate Credit Transaction. It seems to me in this electronic age when information can be transferred and copied and the database could destroy your life, that there should be some, we should have a law that, that basically applies that kind of stuff like we have in the Fair Credit Reporting Act. Makes sense to me. I, I, you know, but I got to tell you, you know, I don't know if, if, you know, if the lawyers and the powers that be will allow that kind of process to develop. We absolutely need a process. I know for sure that they all agree that that something that's erroneous in electronic records should be able to be locked up, you know, sequestered, locked up, you know, put in a locked place where where it you know, it's it's not used, it's not sent out, it doesn't go anywhere, it just stays in a little box you know, in a, in a locked-off part of your record. Now, is but, that uh, because of malpractice issues? I, I think that's it, you know, and the idea that, that something could happen later, you know, and, and if it's deleted, it's gone forever. You can't look at the trail. You can't look back at, at you know, what was contested uh, or what was erroneous and how it was amended or, or sequestered or not. And so I, I just... You know, it seems I'm, to I'm me very that hopeful that it, at least in at least in parts of the system that it would be possible to delete records. You know, for example, uh, if if you were to keep uh, a personal health record on Microsoft's Health Vault because it's yours and it's not a legal medical record belonging to a hospital or a doctor, you can you can delete things. In fact, you can delete your whole account anytime you want to. 
uh, or you can start a new account under under your pet's name. You don't have to even have it under your name. All you need is an email address. But there, so there are certain places where you can delete things. The problem is there's this long history of not allowing medical records to be destroyed until they're, you know, some certain number of years old. You know, right. I pass, pass, pass a chance. You, you might know more about this than me than somebody can sue for something. Right. That's what I'm thinking. You know, there, if there's statute of limitations right. in each state, so maybe but, they could say that, that once the statute of limitations has passed, um, for you know, for medical malpractice or whatever it is, yeah. that then yeah. it should be deleted, mm-hmm. just to make sure. But it seems to me that with, there's so much that is shared. Like you were talking about oh, all yeah. the databases. You're talking yeah. about you know the pharmacy. You know, I I knew of a psychiatrist whose um, whose own secretary was writing uh, prescriptions. Uh, for her friends and and basically committing identity theft against yeah. the, the the but meanwhile you know all of this stuff was going in in fraudulent names names of of uh, patients that it really wasn't the patient so that it would look like they're getting controlled substances do you know what I'm saying yes I do and so that creates another file with the um, with, with the, the pharmacy yes yeah. exactly well, the federal government is monitoring all kinds of pain medications and some some other kinds of classes of medications too and it's it, you know it's a it's a nightmare oh yeah i mean they were doing vicodin and all oh, sorts yeah. of good good stuff that well, it's um, all part of the war on drugs and the inappropriate idea that that the few people in america who happen to need pain medications are not the ones that are the vast majority of of you know drug abusers in this country and exactly. so we're there these happen to be people because there are prescriptions that are easy to monitor therefore the war on drugs is going there instead of, uh, you know, anyway, I'm a physician. The point really is we need to treat these people. They need access to, you know, addiction treatment. They don't really need to be criminalized. Right. But meanwhile, what happens is that um, the doctor, of course, w- would be in trouble. And and ah. and oh, the yeah. real patients who uh, it looks like on their profile that looks like they're doing a lot of this, you know, that they have this kind of drugs or, or even, you know, some kind of uh, antidepressant drugs that really has nothing sure. to do with them, which, again, sure. can create a stigma that's unfair, but it does. No question. No and, question. And so that's why, you know, like the whole idea of the fair information practices, like with the Fair Credit Reporting Act, which I'm, you know, more familiar with in terms of you have the right to see it, which, you, you know, we don't even know what, what's being passed around about us. That's another thing. Absolutely. That actually, the right to see your records was in HIPAA and to get a copy. The problem is it doesn't say the copy should be electronic. <laughs> so right, right. that's part of what we have to correct. But there's, there's no question we need a law that embodies the Code of Fair Information Practices, such as, you know, nobody, nobody should be holding your data without you having given permission to them to do so. Nobody should be able to move it, use it, sell it right. for any use that you did not give permission right. for. Uh, it, there should be audit trails of all uses or sharing or disclosure of your sensitive health information, no question, and there should be automatic reporting of 
any breach or violation of your records when you know something is hacked or taken. We need all of those basic privacy principles to apply to the health system, and they do not today. That's why uh, you know we've been we've been so uh, really excited about a new bill in the House that was introduced February 14th. Uh, the the acronym for it is the Trust Act. Right. <laughs> um, and it was uh, proposed by Congressman Markey, but Congressman Rahm Emanuel, Lois Capps, Henry Waxman, and Lloyd Doggett have also uh, signed on to sponsor this bill, and it puts those kinds of controls back into the system. We absolutely have to have the kinds of protections that, that we have, like you're saying, um, for credit. We have to have those sort of protections for health records as well, and we don't today at the federal level. So we're really hoping that finally Congress can, can do the right thing and restore the rights that we had in paper systems. You know, Deborah, I have some victims who have contacted me who are victims in, of identity theft who yeah. have uh, medical profiles that have inhibited them from getting jobs. Absolutely. And maybe they should contact you and maybe sure. maybe at least you can give their story or they could test, oh, yeah. testify in to. Congress because absolutely um, or talk to reporters too yeah we get asked all the time can you can do you have any people that have contacted you that that are willing to tell their stories because we've got to put a face exactly on these on these complicated issues so everybody can understand how it works and what goes wrong and why it needs to be fixed and so Absolutely. If if people are contacting you with, you know, horror stories, horror stories, yes, and they're they're victims of identity theft, and it has totally ruined their health profile as well. Well, it's it's impossible. It's almost impossible today to to keep employers from getting their hands on your health information. That is the single uh, the single most important reason that I started patient privacy rights because. I know from my own experience as a doctor that medical records do not belong in the hands of bosses. Right. In the hands of employers, in the hands of corporations, banks, anybody that, that makes decisions about you. It's it's incredibly, incredibly unfair and discriminatory. And and the reason I started patient privacy rights was you know, long ago, even before computers and data, people came to me in my office and paid me cash because somebody had already, you know, found out that they were being treated for depression or anxiety or for problems with addiction, and they were fired or they didn't get promoted or their reputation was ruined. And we can't have that. We can't have the people that are seeking help be penalized for it. Exactly. That is the wrong message. And, and here's the thing. There are very few jobs where your medical, you know, your medical information, your health information is relevant. There, you know, there, there are a few where you can make a case for knowing some small pieces about you. You know, for example, um, train engineers, uh, pilots, maybe long-distance truck drivers, Right, if they have seizures, have yeah, yeah, or if they have, if they're and on some seizure doctors, medicine, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Anesthesiologists have a high rate of addiction, you know. Right. But there's a few cases where where something about you is relevant to the performance of the job. Right. But in most cases, if you really, if you have some kind of sickness or 
or or condition that keeps you from doing the job, it'll keep you from doing the job. They don't need to know what it is. Exactly. You know, you'll have to resign or you'll have to take sick leave or you'll have to get help. But the employer doesn't need to know what it is in the vast majority of, of situations. There's no need for that. Exactly. It's personal information. People don't want their bosses to know those kinds of things about them. Right. We're speaking with Dr. Deborah Peel, who is the founder and CEO of Pri- Patient Privacy Rights. She testifies in Congress. She's worked just endlessly to try and help to protect our patient privacy rights, our medical privacy. And you can find out more at patientprivacyrights.org. And, you know, I want to get back to to a little bit about your website because it has some wonderful things on there about, you know, um, things that you can print off and give to your doctor. And why don't you tell a little bit about that website, and then we'll get back to more about privacy. But I just saw just a wealth of great stuff on there. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we we um, we have forms, letters that you can print out, you know, at home and take to everyone that you go to for something to do with your health. You can take them to drugstores, to clinics, labs, doctor's offices, and, and it's a form that, that says something like this. I am requesting that you not disclose or use my or my family's health information for any purpose without getting my permission. And I, these are my rights under state law and medical ethics, and, you know, would you please sign that you agree not to disclose my information or sign that you don't, or, you know, some offices have a privacy officer. But you, you can assert your rights to privacy by taking anybody that, that has anything to do with your health care, this form, and you can demand that they pay attention to the laws in your state. And I'm here to tell you, every state and this nation has very strong laws that require anybody who has health records on you to get your permission before they do anything with them. They're not. That's why it's so important that you take them the form and you put them on notice. Put them on notice that they have to obey the laws of the state, not this federal privacy rule called HIPAA, that lets them do whatever the hell they want to with your records. See, that's what's so important and what I love about your website because it's very easy to understand and it educates all of us. Let's go back to talk about HIPAA because everybody who goes to the doctor or the dentist or even now your pharmacy, you know, you, yeah. you see these uh, privacy notices, which really aren't privacy notices. They're, they're disclosure notices. That's right. And let's, let's talk about what it is and what our rights are with regard to those privacy notices. Yeah. Yeah, the the notices are so tricky. They're so deceptive. And, you know, the the thing that everyone has to has to understand, I think people are kind of ignoring them now, is they give the appearance of some kind of protection. Cuz after all, they're called privacy notice why would you think that they're actually disclosure notices when they are, if you read the, the fine print? Right. It, it essentially says that they're going to do whatever they want with your information, and they'll disclose it for, you know, virtually an unlimited number of reasons because you don't have the right to control it anymore. They'll disclose it to credit bureaus. We've seen privacy notices that say that. 
they'll disclose it to uh, you know all all kinds of different systems, looking at quality uh, for their business purposes, for healthcare operations. Anyway, the point being, if you read the fine print, it says that they're going to send your records to all these places, and you you can't do anything about it. So it really is just a notice. It's not even a consent form. And I'm sure you know a lot of people are confused, and they think that if they sign it, they're giving somebody permission to, to use their records, but they're not. It's only an, it, if you sign, it just means that, they, that you are acknowledging they gave you this notice. It's actually not permission for anything. It's, it's, just, it's just acknowledging that they told you what they're going to do with your records. So it's unbelievably deceptive. It's, it's kind of like, you know, all the baloney we go through at the airport, you know, all that stuff we do, taking off our shoes, right. you know, getting screened, showing everybody our ID. A lot of that stuff looks like we're getting security, but the truth is we're not. <laughs> right, right. We're, it's not really more secure because we're doing all that. I mean, there's no reason for the people at the airport to know exactly who you are. If they screen you for metal and they and they x-ray your bags, that's good enough. They don't really need to know any of this stuff, but... By ramping up the process, it gives the appearance of security more than actually really making things secure. And so in healthcare, there's been terrible, terrible propaganda from the administration. So everyone is trained. HIPAA equals privacy. The right. HIPAA privacy rule must be about privacy. But it isn't. It, it, this is more Washington speak, just like the, the Clean Air Act is actually dirtying our air. I mean... The no child left behind leaves everybody's kids behind. I mean, it's really more Washington speak, and it's not, it's not the truth. And so that's what we've worked so hard to try to do is to get members of Congress to understand that a bunch of appointed industry people who have a direct stake in Americans not having privacy, because that means they can sell health records, sell prescription records, to employers, large employers, and others, they ha- that has to stop. That has to stop. And so we've, we've spent a lot of time showing members of Congress that the privacy rule was gutted. And, you know, we, have, we can show that to you on our website. It's easy to see the single sentence where our rights were taken away and, and consent was replaced with regulatory permission for the 4 million providers in this nation to snoop in and use your health records for treatment, for payment, or for health care operations. And, and kind of go back and explain yeah. that, because when the law passed, right, yeah. wasn't there? Wasn't it just an administrative change? Kind of clarify no, what... Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. the law, which Congress passed in 1996, was, was simply, um, as far as our privacy, Congress gave itself three years to write a federal bill to write a a piece of legislation, uh, you know, for the whole nation that would give every American a right to medical privacy. That was, they gave themselves a deadline because they knew it would be a fight because, believe me, all the lobbyists are on the other side. It turned out it was such a fight that Congress could not meet its own deadline, and so they had uh, a fallback position if they couldn't, and that was that the job of writing Americans' rights to medical privacy uh, fell to the Department of Health and Human Services to write regulations. Right. And right. so 
the regulations they write they wrote are are also known as HIPAA, the Health Information uh, Pri- Health Information Portability and Accountability Act. The P in HIPAA is not for privacy. Right, right. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's important to know that. Um, and so they wrote this regulation, and President Bush put it into effect shortly after he came into office, and it had in it. That, that, that everybody that used your health information had to get your permission right. for treatment, for payment, for healthcare operations to use your data. It was very clear. It was a single sentence. They had to get permission. Prior permission. Yes. Not after, not <laughs> exactly prior. And so the problem was, even though President Bush put that rule into effect, in other words, the Department of Health and Human Services had to get had to get the president to say, okay, we're, we're implementing this rule. It's for real. It's going into effect. And he did that. But his administration, shortly after that, told us, we went, you know, we go up there and try to talk to him, try to work with him. They told us they had every intention of eliminating our rights to give permission before people see our records. And sure enough, uh, a year or so later, that's exactly what they did. And, you know, this stuff is so complicated and so hidden. How on earth could a normal person find out about this? The press didn't report it. Right. Uh, you know, a few of us knew it. I knew it because I've been concerned about privacy forever because because my patients taught me about it. And my patients wouldn't come see me if they thought their records were gone all around the world or, you know, or, e- or even across town. Exactly. And so I have been, I've been following this closely forever. So, you know, only a few, you know, intensely interested, you know, people like me that have some important reason to follow this knew that it happened. And we could not get reporters to report on this. We just couldn't. Yeah. They weren't interested. It, it was too complicated, too hard to report on, you know, in the soundbite age. So... So that's really what led me to to start patient privacy rights because this is really about people's jobs. My kids and your kids and our grandkids aren't going to get a job if somebody sees that they have, I don't know, asthma. Right. Or if somebody sees they have some genetic risk for something that runs in the family. Or Or, or when they were... Or if, if, if you're stupid enough to actually take a genetic test. You know, and right. it's positive. You know, or, employers or, or let's say scared. they took yeah, or uh, let's say that they were in college and you know a lot yeah. of kids get antidepressants. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Or you know, I think we just heard this, the startling fact is something like twenty five percent of young women in this country now have a sexually transmitted disease. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. and you know, people are going to make judgments about this. I don't know what you think, but. But I'm not sure that people's private lives, how they live, what they do, are really need to be known by their bosses. No, no. Their employers. I don't think anyone is comfortable with that. But now bosses are doing everything from getting background checks, uh, getting credit reports, Googling you, Absolutely. right? And, Absolutely. And doing everything else to want to know who it is because this information is so readily available. Right. And they figure if it's out there, I'm going to collect it. Absolutely. And a lot of this is out there. That's why one of the things that we tell people is please do not surf 
for health information on the open web. Don't do it. Don't go to health sites. Don't do a Google health search. All of, almost all of the health sites are collecting information about what pages you look at, what diseases you're interested in, and so on. Because they, be yeah. they know that it's either you or somebody that matters to you, maybe a family member or a close friend or you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, something like that. And so they know things about you. And if they put that together with, you know, your prescription data, you know, it's just, or they put it together with, let's say you bought your prescription on a Visa card with data that's bought from Visa. Right. Everything can be known about you, and it's just, it's just not right. The other thing about this, Murray, is every American, everybody knows that health information should be private and that they should control it because they've heard of Hippocrates, and that's also the way it used to be. And they think that if they tell their doctor something, that it's just between the doctor-patient privilege, right? Absolutely, absolutely. That's what we've been, been trained to believe, and that's what the system was like. And so we are very confident that with, with the help of your listeners and, and other Americans, we can get Congress to fix this because it's such an important need to be able to trust your doctor to be able to go there and know that whatever you say and whatever's going on is not going out of that room. I mean, people can't walk in the door without knowing that. So I feel really confident if, if Americans understand this, enough of us do, and we're trying to get the word out, then Congress will fix it. But what will happen after that is then we can say, look, why doesn't everything else work like it does in health, where I control my most sensitive information? Why shouldn't I control my credit report? Why doesn't somebody have to pay me to see, you know, my worth and and how my finances are? Why do I have to pay someone else to get my personal information um, about, uh, you know, about how reliable I am paying my bills? Why shouldn't Why shouldn't they have to come to me to get that? That's because they're not. And the problem is this: because yeah. I've been part of the, those hearings, and that's because yeah. they don't believe you. So they want to hear it from a trusted third party, and the trusted third party is they the creditor. They are trusted. I, I, I know that, and you know that, but I'm saying. Yeah. Well, but that that's what happens is because they're not always trusted, that's why you have access to it. That's why you have the ability to correct it. That's why within if you notify a credit bureau, you know, within 30 days, they have to investigate it. And if they can't get verification, they have to remove it. So that is that whole model really well, I can, is. I, yeah, I can see your point about financial information. You know, if you could doctor, you know, your bank accounts and your, I don't know what, your, your income tax, you know, right. filings and that kind of thing, people might not trust it. But in the cases of so much other personal information that's collected about us and sold by credit card companies, oh, yeah. by banks, uh, by grocery stores. I mean, we don't even we don't even own the records of who we call on our phones. Now, why right. would that be? That's personal information. And, and we know that that stuff has been sold, and, and sure. of course we know it's also sure. been shared. But, you know, I want to get back to what you were talking yeah. about, about how our sensitive information shouldn't be out there. And you've probably heard Absolutely recently not. about, you know, Farrah Fawcett at UCLA, yeah. that oh, her yeah. sensitive information about sure. her medical information, Maria Shriver, the wife of our governor. Well, let okay. me tell you, everyone's 
virtually everyone's records in hospitals are open like that because most hospitals do not have a way to keep anyone on the staff out of anyone's records. The the technology is so old and so primitive. They don't they you know that could happen to anyone and not just famous people. This is this is what this is what your your listeners should really understand. If you're in the hospital under your name, it's very possible a snoopy neighbor or some doctor that you fired that you don't even like, or, you know, or some nurses or, or ward clerks or, you know, phlebotomists or whatever could right. look at your records, somebody that has some interest in you. Or, you know, if you're uh, a victim of abuse, you know, if your abuser could work in some kind of hospital system that, where they could get access to you or your children's records. So it's very, very dangerous that the technology at most hospitals, is absolutely pitiful. Yes. It's pitiful. And so it's really that kind of thing, you know, um, and, and is, really, is really awful for celebrities. But, but think about it. If you know somebody that works in some, you know, some hospital, that could happen to you. Exactly. In exactly. fact, uh, you know, what, what, what your listeners really ought to do if they're worried about you know, someone on the staff peeking in their records is at the very least ask to have their their records listed under a fake name. Right. You know, right. while they're in the hospital. So that will do something to discourage people from figuring out who you are. Now, obviously, with Farrah Fawcett, she's recognizable. Right, <laughs> right. But the reason I brought them up as celebrities is because yeah. I think what's, what's going to get Congress to bring this to a higher level isn't going to be when, you know, necessarily you or I walk in, but when somebody who's a celebrity or one of their own gets hit. Well, one of their <laughs> own just did, Mari. You know, yeah. that, that uh, National Institutes of Health researcher? Right. Uh, the laptop had the records of Congressman Joe Barton of Texas on it. Right, right. He was, he was, he was pretty upset, and we're, we're hoping maybe he'll change his mind and... and uh, and understand that privacy needs to be put into any legislation to build this electronic health system, not later, but up front. And, and that's what, what we had to do to get some of our identity theft legislation, is we had to really go in and uh, help these legislators, like Diane Feinstein, for example, yeah. to, to see that we could actually get enough information to steal her identity very easily. I think you almost have to set it up. <laughs> where you go in and you get these top people who really have the power in Congress to let them see that it happens to them or a family yeah. member, yeah. and then they're going to see it. That's why I brought up about Maria Shriver and yeah. Farrah Fawcett, because if they go in and it gets in the newspaper and it gets in the media, then there's going to be more of a, a higher consciousness about this, that they're thinking, oh, my God, if it can happen to them, it can happen to anybody. It can. I mean, uh, some people would think, well, who who would care about me? You know, I'm not oh, a celebrity. Oh, yeah, a lot of people would but, care, yeah. But a lot of people that you might be acquainted with will, you know, will know about it. I mean, I'll never forget the first time I had a child. I was in the hospital under my own name. <laughs> that was really dumb. <laughs> you know, half the physicians in Austin dropped in on me. Mm. <laughs> it was really awful. Yes, so I learned my lesson. I, you know, I didn't think, I didn't think anything about it. I'm not a celebrity, but you know, when I had my second child, I went in on, under a fake name. I, I don't need guests. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like 
You know, we had yeah. on just recently, we had on our show um, the daughter of John Wayne. She hap- happened to have been one of my law students 16 years ago, uh-huh. and, and we're friends. But uh-huh. she was talking about when her dad got really, really sick, and he was dying. And um, he was he first went into Hogue Hospital here in Newport Beach, yeah. and they, they said, you have to go to UCLA, you know? Uh-huh. So they quickly threw him in the car and took him up to UCLA. And before he even got there, all of the paparazzi were there, all the media was there. Because one of the, yeah, because one of the nurses had said, hey, he's coming in. He's being transferred. Yeah, and so she was saying that they had, what they had to do, because the emergency room was blocked by all the media. She said it was so upsetting. She, you know, she was only in her 20s. She had to go and... They literally had to bring him in in a gar- one of those big garbage things. They put him in there to bring him in so that they didn't have to go in that door. And so talk about, you know, no privacy. It was, it's just the, the idea of no medical privacy is, is abhorrent. It really is. And, it, and you, like you said, you can, you can, it could keep you from getting a job. It could keep you from getting insurance. Mm-hmm. It could keep you from getting a house because if somebody sees that maybe you have cancer, maybe they don't want to give you a loan. To get a new house. Oh, sure. And this this also gets back to the fact that there are lots of errors in medical records, like you were talking about. Yes. You know, just try and convince and ensure that that cancer test was a false positive. Right. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't you. And so it, it's so critical that we get back control of our records. And I, I hope your listeners will sign up uh, on our website. We'll, we'll tell you when it's important to send an email or call a member of Congress to stop stop them from voting the wrong way on privacy. You know we'll what? tell you what you ought to do. You know, if you feel safe giving us your zip code, we are starting to get involved in, in some states at the state level. Or if you give us your zip code, then we can tell you if your senator or your congressman is really key in, in making this happen for privacy, or if your senator or congressman is on the wrong side, you ought to pound on that person. You know what they do in consumersunion.org? Yeah. They create a, a template of a letter. Yeah, absolutely. And then you just fill in the blank, yep. and then you email it, and they send it for you to your legislators. Yeah, part of the problem, with that that, work, that works to some degree, but the legislators... I don't know if you, your, your listeners know this now, but they, they, they can't stand email because you know, people can send it. They get too much information <laughs> from people. So what they'll do is they won't let you send those kind of mass emails. They'll have what they call a puzzle where the only way you can enter a comment is actually go on their site and you know, mm. type in you know, the hidden code yeah. so they know it's you. But the other thing is, is if you print off a letter, you can always stick it in snail mail. But the problem is about snail it. mail, you're better off trying to do an email bec- some yeah. way because the snail mail, they, it takes forever to get there. No question. Because they're, yeah, they're still looking for anthrax. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what I do is I fax or email. Fax will, you're, that's a good point. Fax will work. Yeah. Fax they, will work. I would not, yeah, and, and a phone yeah. call. And yeah. a phone, phone call. calls, absolutely. Phone calls are best, and I think people you know, are getting more willing to do that because, you know, there's some pretty good cell phone plans where it doesn't cost an arm and a leg, and it means so much. I mean, if you if you care about an issue, you cannot imagine how much one phone call is worth. If, a, if an office gets 10, it really lights them up. Right. I mean, it's, it doesn't take as many people as you would think to make an impression because so many people are asleep. Right, and the other thing is... So you pick up your phone... <laughs> 
you can have more of an effect than you can ever imagine. And, you know, nowadays when we've got all this blogging on the Internet and we've got anybody can be a journalist. I mean, you could do YouTube and talk about this. You know, I was thinking what you should do. Here I am talking about what what might work for you because you're doing (laughs) such important work. But you could literally do some little videos of people who've been through horrible stuff and then put it on YouTube and let that go and let everybody see What's really going on? I mean, we really need to, if you're listening to this and you have had some kind of medical privacy invasion or some kind of problem, you really need to go to uh, patientprivacy.org and let them know and see if you can perhaps tell your story. And, sure. You know, because I know you have some stories on there as well. Yes. PatientPrivacyRights.org. Yes, and if you're willing to do PatientPrivacyRights.org and send your story, Deborah, I'm sure that that would be helpful to you so you have real faces like you need. Absolutely. You know, I, I promise you, you can do a world of good if you would be willing to talk with a reporter. Yes, and and the the problem is is that, you know, they can't just call up a reporter, but if you're getting questions um, f- from your organization, do you know anybody? Then you can, if they give you their permission to uh, call them, or you give the person, you know, the the reporter, um, the uh, the the phone number. If someone's giving you permission, then that that's a way to get it done. I remember when uh, when Beth Givens with the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse years and years ago, when I was first a victim of identity theft, she asked me, "Mari, will you be willing to talk to the media?" Yeah. And, oh, my goodness, did I end up getting calls. I said, yes, I will do that because I feel so strongly that something needs to be done. Yeah. And that's how I ended up in the beginning, just being on the media by just talking about oh, what yeah. happens to what happened to me, what happened to other people. Right. Oh, absolutely. You know, a, a real a real person makes all the difference. They don't want to, reporters don't want to talk to experts and no, they want to. They want to like hear. That. They want to talk to somebody that, who's really had a horror story. Yeah, That's, they want to talk to someone who's been affected. That's exactly right. So we're speaking with Dr. Deborah Peel. She is absolutely wonderful. She's a physician, and she is the founder and CEO of Patient Privacy Rights. You can learn more about that organization at patientprivacyrights.org. Let me ask you, how does privacy healthcare in the United States compare to other countries? Since we're talking about here, we're one of the most, you know, economically advanced countries in the world. How do we compare with other systems? Actually terrible. Um, you know, in, in England, uh, all of your records, your electronic records, they have electronic records, are kept at, at your primary care doctor. Your family doctor keeps your records. They're, and most of them have rebelled and refused to send their patients' records into the national health system without permission. They, will, they won't just send your information anywhere. They're actually protecting their patients in England. Um, one of the differences is in, in other countries, of course, is that uh, health information isn't as valuable as it is in this country because uh, everyone's covered. And so there's no reason to try to seek out more information about you, you know, about pre-existing diseases and so on, you know, to keep you from getting a job because then your employer will have high expenses. So, so in countries where there, where there is universal coverage, the information 
isn't isn't worth the billions of dollars it is here. For example, your listeners should know that every prescription that you get is data mined and that information sold daily and that's been going on for for over a decade. On the front of our website we have our campaign for prescription privacy and it has a little 30-second video which is also on YouTube. Um, that's affectionately known as the Viagra Man video. It actually has pictures of all kinds of people with the name of their medicine on a, you know, like a, a white sign on their shirt. So there's a, a darling little boy that has Ritalin for ADD and, you know, an older woman with a medicine for urinary incontinence and oh, so on and so forth. And then it ends with a kind of a male jogger kind of looking over to woman and then he turns and you see he's got Viagra on his chest. But the point is, is we might as well be wearing the right. names of our of yeah. our prescriptions on our chest because that information is sold. I mean, we don't even have to worry about cyber theft of our medicine, you know, re- our medical records and our prescription records. This stuff is just sold. And <laughs> one company, one data mining company called IMS Health, reported revenues for prescription data mining in 2006 of $2 billion. That's only one. We don't even know how many of these companies there are. And there's $2 no billion. Dollars. <laughs> Meanwhile, <laughs> not, not a dime of that helps a single sick person or goes to, you know, <laughs> goes to in any way, you know, pay for somebody's prescriptions or anything like that. It's just theft of personal information. Mm-hmm. And you, the other thing you were saying, well, what's it like in the rest of the world? Americans should know that in the the European Union, they are debating right now whether your IP address, your computer address that identifies your computer that's in your house or your laptop, they're debating on whether or not they will make that personal information, which means nobody can use it or keep it without your permission. That would wipe Google out. Yes. And Google's entire business model is based on starting with your IP address and then stealing all the locations that you look at from then on. Yeah. In this country, you know, we really are in a surveillance yes, state we are. because people haven't known about it. That Privacy International, in fact, they called the United States an endemic surveillance society. We're, we're one of the worst. We're not, a, we're not the best in the world with technology. We're actually one of the worst. We have some of the fewest rights and, you know, and the greatest theft of of personal information people should start to think of their health records as as valuable like like their money it's exactly. a personal asset like your money information about you is very very valuable and why should somebody be able to use it without your permission well exactly and when you're talking about the European Union the whole model for even financial privacy and everything is opt-in, meaning that Absolutely. they have to get, companies cannot sell your information in Europe, in the European Union, yeah. um, without your prior permission. Mm-hmm. And we don't have that in this country. We have opt-out, which means that companies can sell your information unless you opt out. And and basically, I don't even know if we have any of those rights at all with with regard to medical privacy. That's only the, that's the mo- financial modernization act, which is financial yeah. privacy. But not, I don't think we even have those rights with well, regard. I mean, I think part of it, uh, you know, your listeners might know more than me, but I think part of it has to do with it, the fact that it's not that many decades or generations ago when 
in, during World War II, people were spying on people, neighbors on neighbors, and, you know. And so I think that they're very, very sensitive about government and military and others, you know, spying on you and collecting information about you. And so I, I think that they still have memories of that that are that are horrendous, and and they've essentially moved very very far in the direction because of that of trying to stop spies and we you know nobody i mean we were in world war ii but nobody got spied on over here right right it nobody wasn't got the same sent off thing. to die because somebody reported them there weren't government spies everywhere and so i think that's part of the dif- the difference yes yes and and it's unfortunate because we are now in this wild west and now when information can be stored you know Million, da, huge databases can be stored on a on just like a, a little USB plug, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and and stolen and and taken away. There's been so much medical privacy, that hi, medical information that's been um, stolen in security breaches. Even you know we've heard about it from Tri West. We've heard yeah. about it from UCLA. Everywhere, Lloyd is saying we only have. A couple minutes left, so I am going to have to push on here. So what what is the most important message for you to give to our listeners that you want them to walk away with? You really can make a difference. Congress is, is looking in the next month or two to pass two bills, one for health technology, one for e-prescribing. If you would tell your members of Congress and tell your senators, don't pass those bills unless you restore my control over who sees my information. You would make a huge difference. So what, what are those? Who are the sponsors and what are those bills? Well, there are several different bills in the Senate and the House for health technology. That's why it's important to say don't pass anyone, any one of those health technology bills unless you put in it that I have the right to control my information. And the, and the reason that we're also targeting e-prescribing is the e-prescribing bill is, is designed to force doctors to treat Medicare patients to e-prescribe. And we're saying don't make anybody e-prescribe unless you stop the prescription information from being Sold. used for <laughs> any reason other than to fill your prescription. Yep, yep. And so, so those, those two bills are coming up this spring, the next month or two in Congress, and, you know, if you have a chance, look at our website. You know, we tell you about these bills, but the message is, the message is really very simple. I want to control my prescriptions. I don't want anyone to sell them. I want to control my health information. I don't want anyone to data mine or sell it. And you, Senator X, or you, Congressman Y, don't pass these bills unless you put my rights back in there. Right. So we can find out all of this at patientprivacyrights.org. And uh, Dr. Deborah Peel, we thank you so much for all of your great work. You're a great physician and a real, real wonderful person to help us protect our privacy rights. And we thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Mari. It's a pleasure. We'll talk to you again soon. I hope so. Okay, bye-bye. Oh, you've been listening to KUCI. 88.9 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Join us every Wednesday from 5 to 6 p.m. right here on KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine, and we will see you next week. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.